0: Welcome to Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed, a podcast for men who are thinking about divorce in the middle of one now or are recovering from this horrible process. You will get advice from experts and hear inspirational stories of men just like you who have survived divorce. Now, let's get to work. Welcome back to the show. I'm John Nocklinger, the men's divorce coach and mentor. For more information on how to join our free men's divorce support community, head over to mensdivorcenetwork.com. Today, I've got a very special guest who is going to talk to us about what you need to know as you're going through a divorce when it comes to the next stage of your life and where you're going to live. Sounds fairly easy for most of us, but there's a lot that goes into figuring out where you're going to live, how you're going to afford it, and all the things that you might could be doing while you're in the middle of your divorce to make it a little bit easier when you get to that stage in your life. We have with us today, Jimmy Joseph. He is a mortgage broker in East Brunswick, New Jersey. You can find out more about him on his incredible Instagram page, which is how I found him at jimmy.mortgage. I encourage you to go there. His videos are awesome. He takes complicated issues, Uh, issues that might be a little dry for most of us and he really distills them down to something that is easy to understand. You need to go there. You need to check it out. Please go right now. Thank you so much for being here today, Jimmy.
1: Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. I can hear you. Great. (laughs) always got to test out the mic. You never know. Sometimes you get into your feelings and you're like, I didn't catch that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you. Great. So, you know, we live in a really strange time when it comes to the housing market, right? I mean, like right. the prices are ridiculous right now. Um, I can't believe how much my own home has appreciated. So let's why don't we just start with where is the housing market right now from your point of view? Where is it going? Are houses going to be easier to afford, less easy to afford? Where are we heading right now?
1: It depends on the side that you're on. Either you sell, or you're buying, right? So on the sell side, you're seeing appreciation, what you just mentioned, and then on the sell, on the buy side, you're seeing low interest rates that makes it advantageous for you to purchase a home because of the qualifying factors. So it really depends on the side that um, you're, you're on. Um, it, it, right now, we do have an inventory problem. Speaking to some of my referral partners. Just It's just not enough homes and the demand is high. So the question is, how do we bridge those gaps? With interest rates at their historic lows in the past, they are creeping up a little bit. Not as much as people are making it seem to be, but they're going up. But relatively to what you're buying now, the interest rates are still low. What I mean by low, you're still in the beginning threes.
0: Gotcha. Well, you know, I I think a lot of people here Oh, interest rates are at historic lows. And most people don't know what the hell that even means. No. Um, you know, because for most of us, you see, even if you see 4% interest, I mean, that's still still is low for most people, but correct. can you talk a little bit about, you know, what the difference between, you know, like 3%, 4%, 2%, like what that really means in terms of buying power, because I think that's really what we're talking about when we look at interest rates. And that's a great
1: question, right? Because the interest rates are a factor of what you can afford. So high, so give, let's give an example. If you're buying something for $400,000 and the interest rate is 2.5%, meanwhile, you're buying something for $350,000 and the interest rate is 4.5%. Clearly, just because the home is cheaper does not mean your payments will be cheaper. And that's a factor because of the interest rates. So you just have to watch how you position yourself so i don't talk about interest rates so much because there's so many moving parts of that person's profile so it's a question about where their risk talent is excuse me where their risk talent is and also how long do they plan to be on the house You, you just can't throw out a rate and say this is for you it has to make sense because some people are just looking for short term some are looking for longer and some i just don't know what i want yet but i want something that makes sense So in my consultation with most of my clients, I try to dig down to understand what they want. You can always have an interest rate that you choose to desire because I'll provide that to you. But in some cases, that will come with a cost. Keep in mind, it's all on how it's measured on what you want to do with the home today.
0: Yeah, sure. And I know interest rates are the type of thing where when you contact someone like yourself, You know, there's some, sometimes you're told, oh, you can lock it in for a certain period of time, so you can go and shop around. Um, I just think most people, you know, don't really fully appreciate interest rates um, in terms of what it really means for them. I know, I don't know if most people are like myself, but for me, it's like, what's the bottom line? What's my monthly payment gonna be? You know, I don't really care about all the back end stuff. Just tell me what's the payment gonna be. I mean, whenever you talk to people, what is it that is most concerning to them is it the price of the house is it the interest rate or is it just how much is this going to cost me jimmy honestly it's the down payment
1: it's it's the question is i want to buy this but i only have that not knowing some of the avenues they can use to help support the down payment such as a gift from a media family member two your investment accounts three your retirement account And four, you're playing on saving, checking a savings account. So we um, buying homes in the past, it was always to say we need 20% down. You no longer need that. You can go as low as 3%, get a home. Now, does 3% happen all the time? No, but it is doable based on certain, again, credit and risk profile on the individual buying in certain areas of New Jersey, where most cases, you can start at 5% and that will have a better alternative on that product. Again, it's always how that person is looking to move into the home so they can have the down payment, not worry so much about, I got to put this much more, I got to put this much more. Not, it's not required. And when money's cheap to borrow, I would make a case, why not put as less you can? and put, certain, put that money that you thought you was gonna put down into an asset so that can develop into a better yield spread.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I know I was buying a, a car about a year ago and right. the dealership had 0% interest. And he's like, how much of a down payment do you wanna put down? I just stared at him. I go, are you? effing crazy. <laughs> I want <to> put any <laughs> down payment down. You right. I mean, it's just, but but that's how we've all, you know, that's how we've all, you know, thought this is how this whole process is supposed to work. Right. We said, so you were talking about 20% used to be the norm for everybody. And now there's some variation. So let's talk about, you know, somebody going through a divorce and they know, okay, well, I want to, you know, let's say I want to buy something after I'm divorced, after I sell my house. And we'll talk about buy versus rent in a second. Correct. But, if you were just to tell them on average, how much of a percentage of a new home that they need to really have in the bank, would it, what would it be? Like, I know it's different depending on the product and everything, but if there was just an average amount that you say, listen, before you even consider anything, whenever you're budgeting yourself, this is really the kind of percentage that you need to have for a new home.
1: You Honestly, when you're going into a home because of the unforeseen expenses, there is a liability. As much as I empower home ownership, I also wanna be conservative with some of the things that can happen, right? Because it's just what it is. It's an asset that has liabilities to it. So I'm always in the position of, if you can have anywhere between five to 10% down, and you had the mindset of putting 20, take the other half of that 20 and put it into an investment because now you can, God forbid something does happen, like in such case of a divorce, you can liquidate your assets. It's easy to buy, it's easy to liquidate something t plus three days in the market, than it is when you're going through a divorce. Because keep in mind, if you go through divorce, your assets are separated. Now you have to ask yourself, how much can I really afford? Because the factor is, it's called a debt to income ratio. So you have to be careful with that. So I always make the case, put. At least 5% down on the home and whatever that 5%, I mean, whatever that um, 20% kind of sort of they, they told you to put, take the remaining percentage of that. Now it can be anywhere between 6 to 10, 6 to 12, take that percentage and put it into what would, I would call investment account. Now there are different investment accounts. There are um, ETFs. There are, you know, uh, uh, I would call, excuse me s and p certain ones that you can just follow that is somewhat conservative mutual funds and if you're a little bit aggressive you know you go further in your risk tolerance and put that money there so that you can earn what we call dividends and now you have that god forbid something does happen
0: that's really smart i actually saw that on your instagram page you had a nice little infographic showing you know how I, that was it. Wasn't really that exact point, but it was the point of prepaying a mortgage, or you know, mortgage versus investment, and how right. much you have after a period of time. And that's the kind of thing people don't think about. I mean, most yeah. people are not long term thinkers. They just think about what they need to do tomorrow. But you know, when you think of your home as an asset, something that you know is it can be part of your long term planning, it's really important for you to consider all these things. So. I mean, I really think Jimmy, you're you're more than just the average mortgage broker, because most mortgage guys don't really go into this level of detail. But I think, you know, this is a great thing for you to actually talk about with your clients in terms of their down payments, their payments, all these other things, whether they do a 15 year, a 20 year, a 30 year, like all these different variations of what are your long-term plans and I know when people are going through a divorce it's kind of like well i, I don't really want to think about long term <laughs> it, 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 so. it, it's a difficult it, it's, a, it's a
1: difficult balance right but keep in mind my experience comes from private banking i worked at the jp morgan investment management so i have a lot of those backgrounds and i got into the mortgage business because i felt there needed to be a voice about what home ownership looks like, especially dealing with minorities because coming from neighborhoods where I came from, it was always told just pay rent, pay rent, pay rent. You're just living for the moment. And that didn't sit well with me and not moving up through the chains of corporate America, I felt I can add value with those that look like me and those who I service in my community in New Jersey. And it was just really simple. I'm giving you what's called the mortgage management to your profile, giving you everything you need from soup to nuts and providing that with a report and my video of what it looks like based on the various products you choose. And that empowers someone to feel like, oh man, Jimmy's actually explaining it to me. Right, because that's my goal. You're my incentive compensation. You're my relationship. You're the reason why I do it because it puts a smile on your face as well as my face to show what home ownership like it should be a seamless transaction the only time it becomes a hiccup if you're not following instructions in the beginning to provide me the information for you to get the mortgage right you're working with a lender they want certain things it becomes annoying but the part is they want your life
0: because they're giving you money <laughs> yes seriously and i i think i think everything you just laid out is a, a reason why working with someone like you versus you know these internet people that are You know faceless is really a benefit to people um actually on that note does if someone works with you versus goes to i'm not going to name drop but like you know online places is it going to end up costing you more or is it really about the same
1: potentially costing you more it's called cut and paste they're given the script they're given uh what's called the conversation of the day they're given what's called the price of the loan of the day, and they say, Hey, this is what you're going to get and have a good day. You're working with someone like myself, I'm reaching out to your referral partner. I'm going behind the scenes, the title folks that you're probably gonna be working with, your lawyer, working after 5.03 PM on a Monday or Tuesday, working on weekends while I'm with my family, knowing how much home home ownership means to you. I'm answering those calls because I know how important that is. And so Working with a team, I go out, I put myself out there to show that my client needs this home. We, as professionals, have to provide that home to them. We can't treat it as a transaction because my gain of business is through your referral. I have to provide excellent service. It means that much more to me as much as it for you getting that home.
0: So would you, would you using banking, would you right. characterize it as the difference between like one of these big Huge banks like Chase, Citibank versus like a small community bank that would work with you more. I think I think of it as a business owner myself when you go to get in a line of credit or whatnot. The right. banks it's like you either qualify or you don't. Here's the situation. correct. If you go to a community bank, you know maybe they'll work with you. they'll they'll kind of look behind the curtain to see if there's more information maybe they can look at to figure out is that would that be a good analogy for working with you versus you know one of these nameless people that get these scripts every day? <laughs> Well, the difference is I'm a strategist. They're your
1: day-to-day transaction coordinator. That's the difference. I'm going to show you the map to what home ownership looks like after and before you sell your home. That's what you want because that's the thing. It's always been some have the thing called fear. Mm-hmm. You see something you're like 360 months, 30 years. Am I going to make it happen? And that's where professionals like myself as a strategist, show you what your table looks like five or 15 years based on the average that most live in a home between five to seven. So I'm just giving you five to 15 because now you get the picture. Now you're like, okay, I'm not nervous no more because Jimmy didn't mention interests. Jimmy didn't mention taxes. Jimmy didn't mention homeowners insurance. Jimmy gave me this whole portfolio. Now my wife and I, or a divorce where we're going separate ways because things did not work out, now we can see, okay, here's what you're going to have, here's what you're going to have. Assuming it all works out, I would like I would like that to have that happen, but it is what it is when certain things don't work out that way, but at least you have an idea of what you're working with because when you're going through a divorce, the most important thing you need to have is leverage, regardless of who's doing what to, to one another. We need to protect one another because what we don't want to do is foreclose on a home because of certain negligence that we're not adhered to in the beginning of the process. And that's what I'm here to do. If it happens, it happens. Though I don't want to make it seem like you can't do this, you can't do that. These things do happen. That is called life. But what I want to do is have that leverage on both parties so we're not missing anything when we go our separate direction.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I think that um, something you said earlier, I, I forgot to mention, I forgot to respond to about um, your wanting you need like another account for the liabilities of owning a exactly house. Exactly. Correct. I mean, that's, I'll just tell you from personal experience within two months, hot water heater went, air conditioner went, dishwasher went, furnace went, and um, we needed a new a fuse box. mean, it was like all within two months. And you know, Fortunately, I could do it, but most people cannot withstand that much liability within a short period of time. And it's really something I think you really hit on it. When you own a house, you really need to have, you know, a fund set aside for those liabilities that will happen because you own a house. Correct. Right? You know, if you're living in an apartment, you call up, you know, you call up maintenance or your landlord and say, you know, my hot water heater's not working and they're responsible for it. I just, I think that's, something that is not explained to people nearly enough. Yep, it, it, it,
1: it, you're right. It, it's It's important because it does happen. And when you're working with clients, the most important thing is trust. If that cannot be shown, there's no reason why you should be working with that individual.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I got to tell you, I was looking at your Instagram page and I love something you put up that has nothing to do with mortgage, but I think it goes to the way that you think about strategizing money. Um, You had a post about how if you invested $2,050 when your child is born, he or she or they could be a millionaire by the time they're 65. Absolutely. That is, you know, and that's the type of thing people are not thinking about. I mean, you know, you're talking about just opening an account it irritates me that people aren't opening up you know, any kind of account to plan for college. People don't plan for anything these days. And I think what you're hitting on is home ownership and all of these things is part of a long-term plan and you should look at it that way. Um, and then you will have wealth whenever you're older. And it, it, I, I just think that it's brilliant the way you're talking about this because I haven't heard anyone talk about mortgages and home ownership combined with all these other things before.
1: It's, it's important. I mean like it's uh, wealth is built from assets, but don't get it twisted where if you're not doing other aggregates within your wealth that you're not going to grow your portfolio. Like I said, I'm from private banking. I watch the, the rich shelter money. I watch inve- in, um, investors put something someplace else just to make sure they allocate their funds. And that my clients and friends and family, it's called diversification. That's what diversification, excuse me, diversification means. It means having something and having different funnels of, of excuse me, d- different streams of income to support the lifestyle you live.
0: Yeah. So g- getting back to uh, home ownership and buying and selling for a second, one thing that happens in divorce very frequently, whether you're buying something new or someone's buying out someone's interest in a house, which I'm sure you've worked with people that are doing that before. Right. Right. Um, there's an appraisal and appraisals drive everyone absolutely bonkers. <laughs> yes, can they you, do. Can you just talk to me a little bit about, about appraisals, whether or not they drive you crazy and how it does the average person have any way of knowing that this appraisal that was just, they just got is any way, shape or form close to reality or something that somebody else has told an appraiser to sort of tilt one way or the other.
1: It's the appraiser question is a, uh... It's a very interesting question because of some of the practices that are happening within the appraisal company. Um, that said an appraisal, when one is done given from the bank, that's to show the value of your home. However, when you're working with a real, a professional realtor, he or she, or the team is supposed to give you what's called comp to support the purchase you're going to make. Unfortunately, sometimes things have not settled in time. So the appraised value of the purchase amount does not reflect the same. So therefore, when you're buying that home, that seller wants that price. They're not too concerned with the appraisal. So if the appraisal amount does not meet the threshold, you as a, a buyer have to meet that gap. Now that gap can be 10%, 5%, 3%. Regardless of the gap, you have to make up the difference because the lender is only going to give you the as excuse me, the loan based off the appraised amount. So for reasons when you're working with a realtor, you need to know what the comps are supporting the neighborhood you're buying so that if you if the home does not appraise at that value, you can cover that small percentage to make the purchase on the home.
0: Has that been happening a lot lately with these skyrocketing uh, house yeah. prices that we've
1: seen? It, it has because just for the fact that Um, some homes did not settle in time and people were buying at the same time where that contract price did not reflect the appraised amount and you had, especially the tri-state area, folks from New York City coming into New Jersey overpaying because they didn't care no more about the appraisal. They felt what the realtor told them, what the comps would support it, they felt comfortable taking that risk to buy the home because they said, you know what, this is what I'm getting. This is what the data is showing I'm comfortable paying over asked on the appraisal price. And in some cases on the purchase price as well, because of the pandemic, it, it put a lot of people into what I would call heightened security. So uh, in that time, people felt like having an asset was more
0: important than anything else. So what about the lack of inventory? I, I, what I'm like am having a hard time understanding, Jimmy, maybe you have a great answer is if all these prices are shooting up, why aren't people selling their houses and cashing in?
1: It, it, the, the biggest question is where are you going to go, <laughs> right? If you sell your house here, where are you going to go? And that's some, that, that's some of the things that um, sellers have. It's like, I can make all this money, but where do I go? Um, am I comfortable leaving the state? am I comfortable moving 100 or 200 miles further from where I used to live? And those questions are hard to answer because they're the only ones that can answer that question. And it's just, we have to see what happens as things develop to see where things takes us as far as who's going to um, you know, snap on certain things or if the market is going to open up. It, it is a tough question. Um, professionals like myself, I'm working with, 10 clients, I'm doing 10 pre-approvals. If I get one, that's amazing. Sometimes I'm giving out 10 pre-approvals and nobody gets the home. I'm working harder because of the inventory problem, which I don't mind, but talking to 10 clients about the potential of home ownership and he or she, or someone buys the home over ask, and they just nixed 10 potential clients. And when I do research, not, excuse me, when I work with my clients, I'm doing everything to get all the information upfront so I can make sure that they're, they're, they're in reason to make that purchase. But because of the market and the, the, the lack of inventory, sometimes all that work I put into it, nothing comes out of it just because someone came in with an all cash offer or went in 25% over ask on the home. I've seen that happen it's crazy
0: yeah I've, I've been hearing stories like that too it's kind of like it's kind of like the stock market you know you see you have you own stock and it's at the sky high price and you're like oh oh should i sell it should i sell it <laughs> because if you sell it and the market's already high and you want to buy something else you're going to buy it high too
1: absolutely so,
0: you know so i i can kind of see why people are looking at it that way but let's talk a little bit about um you know getting second mortgages or home equity lines right now on these properties because i'm assuming that's been pretty popular i know in my neighborhood it has been a lot of construction going on a lot of houses <laughs> strangely it's all happened back since the prices have been going up
1: right i right.
0: really increase in that kind of activity and what are the pros and cons of you doing that particularly when the prices are so high
1: yeah it- it's it's one of those things that taking a line of credit, it does protect you. Cause keep in mind, line of credit is what's called a credit card. It's a secure, it's it's what's called a security on your home. Another another security on your home. So it's good to have because if you're looking to do any type of renovations, um that help propels you to get there quickly, assuming that you can make those monthly payments. It's been one of those things that um folks have tapped into it. But line of credits have been stepping back a little bit just because they don't want what took place during the housing crisis so when you're going in when you're going into a line of credit your risk profile has to be somewhat above average just because they don't want individuals going into defaults with their mortgages anymore being second lien does not satisfy um the return on that asset so they're, they're walking that fine line right now when it comes to line of credit but um it is happening. Line of credits do help because of the fact that if you need to do your bathroom, you need to do your kitchen renovations, your basement, add a pool, different things that accommodate your lifestyle. It, it does make sense. However, um, if you're not borrowing as much and paying it down as quickly as you can, it makes even more sense because now you're not dealing with that side of the interest, and you're only working and you're only worried about the big asset, which is your primary home.
0: Does that does that whole rationale stay true to instead of the line of credit, the actual loan, the home equity loan or the second mortgage?
1: It, it, it depends. Right? It does hold a lot. I mean, because remember, they're holding the position on that home. So what God forbid anything happens, they're going to hold it. The problem is sometimes a line of credit will give you fifty thousand dollars and two months later, because of what's going on with the market or what's going on with your profile, they'll decrease it to 30. And so that's why sometimes that avenue um, you have to be very conservative with it because they can reduce your balance anytime they feel like it's almost like calling them your, your note. If you're not using what's given to you, they can reduce that balance. So that's why I, I tell um, individuals when they go into a line of credit, these are the things that you need to be where these are the things you need to be concerned with because they have the power to do that.
0: And what about interest rates on these um home equity loans and second mortgages are they significantly higher than the primary mortgage loans and depend some most of them are adjustable
1: and some of them are interest free depending on the lender um you follow what's called prime plus the bank rate and that sometimes could be fixed or variable in most cases when someone is going in for a line of credit they do take the variable option just because they're not borrowing as much and given where the rates can be, the the less the rates are, the better you can pay down towards your principal so you're not financing that much. When you go into the fixed part, when you go into a fixed um, line of credit, sometimes it could, you know, it, it, you're paying more interest, but you're knowing your monthly payments are. But that's why when you touch those type of um, instruments, you just have to be careful what you're trying to do and what's your purpose because. In some cases, it may not make sense to get a fixed rate. It may make sense to get a variable, again, just because you're not borrowing as much and the interest is not at high. So therefore, you the more you pay towards your principal, the less interest you deal with.
0: Well, interesting question based on that now is, do you encourage people to pay more than the minimum on their mortgage or to actually you know, make extra payments? Or do you think that they people should take that money and put it into another investment vehicle instead. I it, it,
1: that is a very 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 good question. I'm not in am I'm I'm not a firm believer paying down your mortgage earlier because I just don't see no reason in it. I always feel like the market has more appreciation than your home. That's a fact in my mind. However, if you come from a person that's more conservative and do not want to put too much money into the market because of what you've heard in the past or you're just not comfortable then putting extra payments towards your mortgage does help but i always feel like it's better i'd rather put my money in a small conservative fund yielding one to two percent than paying down my mortgage because i just don't see no factor in it but again i respect those who want to just i don't want no debt I just want to pay it off Jimmy no matter what you tell me I want to make sure I pay off my loan I get that so I try to tell them make 26 payments as opposed to 24 payments throughout the course of the of the 30-year fix because you'll save about seven years off your mortgage if you stay in that product for 30 years the problem is a lot of people refinance a lot of people take cash out it, it, there are pros and cons to that. It really depends on the individual. However, I'm not paying my mortgage off early. I'm taking that same money potentially, I mean, excuse me, the same money I, I should, I mean, the money I have, I'm going to put it in the stock market because I feel there's a better gain for me. I'd rather get dividend checks than avoid paying certain debts that I know I can
0: manage. Yeah, My investment strategy. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I would, I would think if someone wants to pay off their house faster, Maybe they should just look at getting a, like a fifteen-year mortgage as opposed to a thirty-year mortgage, right? Yeah, exactly. That that that's that that's
1: my that's my fundamental belief. Exactly.
0: And and what about the interest rates? Uh, do the interest rates change based on whether it's
1: thirty or fifteen
0: years? Yeah, the terms the
1: terms do, do dictate the interest rate. So on a fifteen-year, the rate is somewhat lower. Your payments are higher. Your payments are lower on a thirty. Your interest rates is a tad bit higher. It depends anywhere anywhere from um two points two and a half points depending on the person's risk profile
0: all right well let's let's talk about risk profile then because uh, obviously again we primarily uh, this the audience of this podcast are people going through a divorce so one thing that happens all the time when people are going through a divorce is their credit gets effed up big yeah time. so can you talk a little bit jimmy about maybe some practical things people could do to really try to minimize how their their risk profile really will take a, a hit so that they are even in a position to have a conversation with you to buy a house after they get divorced
1: it is a difficult um a, a difficult path because um you're now assuming debt that you didn't have or you're assuming responsibility you thought you didn't have so when I when it comes to debt I I encourage um, those to stay between the 30% on their credit cards. Um, If you have had collections or liens, try to pay them off. It's not easy and I don't want to make it seem like it's easy, but if you can pay off your liens slash your judgments, I would make sure I take care of that first because that can have a, a huge impact on your credit. Also, when someone, when you're about to purchase your home, this is going to come up on what they call title search. That information is going to be there. So if you owe anybody a landscaper, um, child support, that's going to show up. You cannot avoid it. So the most important thing is to settle up those debts so that they don't come back and haunt you. Now, when it relates to credit card, try to stay under 30%. And, And like I said, it's not easy. And I don't, I don't make it look like it is easy. It, it, it's a challenge because you're coming off a divorce. You're used to a certain income style, and you don't have that anymore. So, I encourage most to stay under thirty percent. If you cannot, it's the loan is still doable, but it's I'd rather tell you the right way first. So, if you're at if you're not at thirty, but maybe at forty percent, you potentially could still get the home. But keep in mind the interest rates may be higher because of the credit score. So. i I try to tell my clients most of the time fix your judgments try to catch up with all the liens that have your name out there because i won't see it i won't see it until they do a title search on you and that information is there and now we have a bigger problem because you think you have a home you don't because you didn't settle those debts on the credit report try to minimize that information as it relates to what you're borrowing. So in other words, if your bar, if your credit limit is a thousand dollars, try not to be at 500, try to be at $350, $300, try to stay under that 30% threshold because your scores will reflect a better credit, score. excuse me, a better credit score. So now the coupon that you're purchasing from the lender Will, will be advantageous for you. So now you can afford more too, because keep, your credit score also determines your debt to income ratio. The higher the rate, the more you can't borrow. So we want you to have a good credit score so you can maximize your buying power.
0: You know, it's interesting that you said debt to income ratio and, and, and credit scores, because I, I just went through refinance myself. And I thought it, I just was very entertained by um, having an incredibly high credit score. But because of the you know voodoo calculations that go on to these credit scores, you could have an incredible credit score, but still have a horrible debt to income ratio. That's correct. So, so, between the two, is one more determinative than the other in terms of whether someone qualifies for a mortgage, or are they of equal importance?
1: They're equal importance because your debt-to-income ratio, if a rate is given, if the rate is high, that just means what potentially your new mortgage payment's going to look like in addition to your current liabilities. That is a collage of what's called your monthly payment. If those thresholds are there and they're not met, you can't get that home. So, Or you would have to put more down. Now, putting more down, that's not easy because remember, you're just coming off a divorce. You just split half of your assets. Mm. You need that money now because you're doing things on your own. So I always feel like reducing your debt as much as you can will make your life easier. Now, what do I mean by reducing your debt? So if you have a car note and you're paying five, $600 a month, if you don't need it, why get into that? Get into a Cardinal that's $300 a month. That $200 a month is such a huge difference in your monthly payments. It it just is. You have that $200 just gave you $30,000 of buying power if you went from three to two, just like that, $200. So when you're going through a divorce, you have to adjust your lifestyle. That German or special American car that you had, you have to get rid of it. You have to go down... And you have to get something that's more practical because the most important thing right now is your home until you feel comfortable with the new, um, with your mortgage payment. And keep in mind too, sometimes you have kids, you have college tuition, you put your name on your, your kid's college, you're paying that note. That's part of your debt to income ratio. That's what someone. That's what some people don't know. When you take out a loan with your kid, that debt is yours too. I see that. That monthly payment is part of your mortgage payment. So that's why your debt to income ratio is such a huge factor as it relates to your credit, because all those roll into one to make your monthly payment.
0: Yeah. What's interesting about that though, Jimmy, is, um, and I just saw this recently, is it's amazing to me that sometimes when you pay off a debt, your credit score declines. It's amazing to me. You would think it would be the opposite, that Mm -hmm. you're deemed more credit worthy because you can pay off. Loans. That's why it's just I think most people just smack their heads against the wall when it comes to credit scores because it's just it's um it's amazing. Do you do you have a lot of frustrated clients that you deal with?
1: All the time. They're like, I, I saw this. I typed in what if I pay off my credit card? And you know that what if on the Google gives you a lot of opinions. <laughs> 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 you know, so they come I, I try to just give them education, you know, try to keep five to ten percent of that um, balance. So it looks good. These algorithms, they're they're funny. I don't know how it always works, but for the sake of you getting a mortgage, try to stay between 10 to 15% on your credit usage and whatever you got going on with your monthly payments when it comes to cars and student loans, try to reduce that because those are big payments.
0: Yeah, sure. And when it comes to credit scores, I know there's, you know, there's a bunch of different credit scores out there, all calculated different. And then each of these companies has different calculations based on various things. Is there a standard in the mortgage industry of which one is being used or do you not find out until you've already gone after a particular product? It's when
1: they, so they use all three, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. They collage the two. They take the middle score to apply. When you're applying with both co-applicant and applicant, let's say, for instance, you move from divorce, you moving with your new girlfriend or boyfriend. They take the two, combine the middle score, get the mean, and they use that to price the coupon.
0: Okay. So so choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Choose. I like that one. Choose wisely is correct. You're Absolutely. ready to get married. Can I see your
1: credit report first, please? <laughs> I mean... It, it, It's like that sometimes, you know, I mean, but also, too, we live in an economy where it's safer to have two incomes than one. It's 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 just what's going on right now. Um, So asking that question does not hurt.
0: No, it it doesn't. (laughs) And um, I've and also what's interesting, too, when you're married, there's a lot of debt that could be in one name or the other cars credit cards are two things that come to mind obviously student loans are always there right um and so that's always interesting too that sometimes i've heard stories from my own clients of you know funny things that go on with mortgages we're just doing one applicant now all of a sudden you qualify for a, a much bigger mortgage at a better rate just because all the debt was in the other person's name so
1: that's correct
0: you know and so i think it's all the more reason why you know, going to talk to somebody like yourself, Jimmy, before you even, you know, start making these applications is so important because you might be able to advise someone like, listen, we shouldn't start pulling credit reports and doing all these things until you guys do X, Y, and Z. Do you have enough people that come to you before they start actually asking people to pull their credit? Um, yeah. that, that has an impact on things, right?
1: Absolutely. Well, you, you're allowed to look around, but you have to be practical too, right? You have to ask yourself, I'm just coming off of the of a divorce there are certain things that had to be settled now i'm assuming new debt what that what does that look like because in some cases with divorce you may own a property the value of that property is part of your settlement to give to your partner so now you have a new mortgage depending on how things are situated between your um, your living wages right so it's always important when they speak to me, I, I go through the profile. Again, you're going to have this. You're going to have that. You need to give this because this is part of your settlement. You need to understand this number because you no longer have the other side helping you with that. So in my consultations with them, I make them feel comfortable with the new reality. Like you don't have what you had before. You are living a new lifestyle and you have to adjust. And it's my responsibility to show you what that number looks like. So then you move forward knowing that wherever life takes you, if you're moving with somebody else or so so on and so forth, you can still enjoy what you had and then make
0: the best of it, period. Yeah, sure. Um, that's <laughs> it's so important. Um, so I, there there's a couple other things I want to make sure we, we talk about um, right. before our time is over. One of them is this whole... I mean, it, it, let's say you're getting divorced and you're selling a house and you want to buy a new house. So... That's always a fun juggling act. Just give us, give the listeners a little, some pointers on this. I mean, should you be trying to get a new house while you're selling your old house? Should you try to get the old house sold first and, you know, I don't know, be, you know, live in some kind of temporary housing for a few months? Like what, what should people really be doing? Cause this is the biggest confusion I hear from people all the time on how to navigate this.
1: I look at it this way. I'm I'm very conservative with all my approaches. I'm not carrying two mortgages. I don't care what someone tells me or what potentially the future looks like. I'm not no Shadamas I don't know if my house is going to sell. Just because it's on pen and paper does not mean it's gonna sell. Sell means when my house is sold and I get those cash and I can do whatever I want with it. So when you're going through a divorce, I encourage you just wait for the house to sell. Once it sells, then you feel comfortable knowing you're going into a new purchase. Again, you may not feel comfortable paying rent for two, three months, but again, so what? I mean, you carrying one mortgage and you're carrying the pending mortgage, assuming it sells, that number by itself is just fear in my mind. And I don't want to put any of my clients in that situation. Again, they may feel comfortable saying, I don't want to pay rent. I don't want to go into that. But the fact is, rent is short-term. What if the home does not sell while you're going through divorce and you're buying another one? You're just adding more stress to something that could could have been avoidable if you would have just said, you know what, I don't mind paying rent for a short-term period. And yeah, keep in mind, we have Airbnb now. There is no excuse why you're not paying rent before you wait for that home to settle that you're pen- the pending sale and move into another one. That's my attitude on it. Again, if someone feels they want to carry the two mortgages, I'm still going to show them what to
0: do, but that's not something I practice. And I'm assuming the days of contingencies on a new purchase are really by the wayside, given the shortage of inventory and the number of people that are willing to pay cash, especially in the tri-state area. Yeah. Especially in the tri-state area. Yeah. I mean, although it seems like all over the country, prices have gotten a little crazy, but you were just talking about renting. And this is this is a last big topic I want to talk to you about is but purchasing versus renting. Talk to us, Jimmy, what should you be thinking about whenever you're going in to find a new place to live and you have the option of finding an apartment, which are not cheap these days, or trying to buy a new house, which we've just been talking about, right. can be lots of fun as well.
1: It, there, the option of renting is, you know, it's good. However, especially if you're a VA, you're a veteran, you, you, you know, you fought for this country, you did everything you can to protect our lives. I'm thankful for that as well as a lot of people I know you can go into a mortgage with 0% down and look at what your rent payment will look like versus what your, um, new mortgage will look like. And the difference could be two, $300, but guess what? You now have what's called your write-off those taxes and interest. So now, what you thought was paying too much in mortgage is coming back to you at the end of the year if you're doing a usda loan you get zero percent in some cases they may help you with some of the fees to go at closing with the home and if you're doing an fha three and a half conventional three to five percent the down payment is a challenge however given where you can get some of that money to help support it you may see the difference between your rent versus own. Now the rental, it, like I said, it's not a bad thing. I'm not, owning a home is not for everybody and I would never force it down someone's throat. I'm just here to show you what the difference is and what assets can look like assuming you had a rent and you have your mortgage payment. There's more you can do because of the appreciation. However, there are liabilities to take into fact, but I always put you in a position of comfort when you're making that purchase and you look over the course of years how much you're paying in rent if you're paying 2500 a month in rent and you're paying 2800 dollars in mortgage the more you put towards your principal the more appreciation you have the monthly rent you give to somebody it's what it is it's your monthly pen that you give to somebody there is no what i would call appreciation because you don't own it so i always encourage those before you make that decision speak to a professional like myself so i can, so i can show you the difference to make to compel you why home ownership is a better path but keep in mind there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with renting because if you're going to be in a state for 2 years and you're moving that you're moving
0: but i'm here to show you the difference yeah i think that's really great advice and one one question i want to ask you about the mortgage deductibility the interest deductibility have you noticed any change in behavior since um particularly in states like new york new jersey um since they changed the law to cap the amount of you know property tax deduction and interest deduction we can actually take yeah it was a challenge because they had the cap but
1: um those um tax cuts, are they're, they're about to expire. So we'll see how that changes when um, when those expire. But if, speaking right now, there is a cap. It's a challenge, but that challenge is based off of certain incomes, right? It's not for everybody. Some, some of us make enough where the cap is the cap and some of us don't make enough and we can still have those itemized deductions under the cap.
0: Sure, sure. But it's it's all part of the package. You've got to look at everything. And I think that's really been the point of what you've been telling us today, Jimmy, is you can't just look at one thing. You got to look at everything to make an informed decision. Absolutely. Everybody has a profile.
1: It's my responsibility to help you engage in what you can do within your profile.
0: Sure. Well, Jimmy, if someone wants to work with you, and I can't imagine who wouldn't want to after listening to you, <laughs> um, you how you. would they reach you? And who all can you actually help? Because obviously this podcast is listened to by people all over the place.
1: I'm helping anybody that wants to look for a mortgage. Now, keep in mind, if even if you're looking in a different state that I, I'm not licensing, I'm here to help you. I'm here to go through the different resources that I have to make sure you're getting the proper treatment when you're making this purchase. I understand the assets. I understand the responsibility, but it's also, it's what I love to do is give my advice to others when they're making a big purchase, especially during a divorce. Um, That said, I can be reached at jimmy.mortgage on IG. I'm also at jimmy.joseph, G-R-A-R-A-T-E, guaranteerate.com. I'm also on Facebook. If you type in Jimmy Joseph, I'm there. As long as you put Jimmy Joseph in your search engine, you will find who Jimmy Joseph is under Google.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely go check out his Instagram page. I mean, just, I I spent a lot of time on it this morning. I mean, it's a wealth of information. Again, that's jimmy.mortgage, right? Correct or mortgages. Jimmy.mortgages. No, Jimmy.mortgages. It's one word. It's possessive. It's.
1: <laughs> I was going back and forth with the mortgages and mortgage. You kept going back and forth. I switched it. I just said Jimmy dot mortgage, and um, it's easier for. Well, I thought so. It's a
0: marketing thing. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> well, if you're if you're watching this, um, all of that information that Jimmy just gave to you will be on your screen if you're listening to this. It will be in the show notes. So I encourage you, if you are thinking about purchasing a new home, whether you're going through a divorce or not, um, definitely reach out to Jimmy. As you can tell, he's got a lot that he's going to be able to offer you. Thank you so much for being here today, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.